Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be people that not only know you and believe you, but people who live out our faith, who love mercy, practice kindness, and walk humbly with you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I was a little late with that one. I bet you if I surveyed the room, everybody in this room has a unique set of skills that you have developed or honed in during your lifetime. For some of you, maybe you're an accountant and you're good with numbers or you're an attorney and you know everything about the law or you're a doctor and you're specialized in your field. For others of us, maybe it's parenting or maybe for me, even though I'm a parent, I don't know anything. But whatever uh, it might be, we all have skills that we've developed. Now, growing up, my wife and I developed two very different skills. One was very useful for later on in life, and one, mine was not very useful. You see, growing up, I uh, had a great skill. It was catching a football. It started at a young age, and I got really good at it. I had my brother throw me passes over and over again. I would get neighbors, friends, to keep throwing me the football. When there was nobody around, I'd throw it on the roof and wait till it to fall off and dive and catch it. Remember one particular day, I, my brother threw me a pass. I dove and caught it, hit my head on the banister, and I was bleeding from my head. It required stitches, and my words to my brother was, I caught it. It's like, you're crazy. So anyway, this uh, skill set I developed, uh, it helped me out in high school. I won a starting job as a wide receiver, and that was my dream to be not only uh, be a wide receiver in high school, but to go on and play for the Washington Redskins. Well, my senior year, I, I had to take two years off because I hurt my back and continued. I won my starting job back because I could catch the football. I didn't drop it. But I wasn't fast enough and I couldn't jump high enough, so my high school dreams and my skill that I developed ended in high school because catching a ball could only take you so far when you didn't have the rest of the skills to go along with that. Meanwhile, my wife living in Brazil on the other side of the world was uh, – practicing being a chemist. When she was a young uh, child, she got her first chemistry set. She loved chemistry. She would read books on science. She had a game she played with her friends, which is bizarre to me, but they go like this and they put fingers and toes out and whatever, when they counted the number, whatever letter it landed on, they had to say elements that started with that letter until one person got stumped. So for example, if it was three, they would go like carbon, chlorine, calcium, you know, I had to look at my notes because I pretty much only got carbon. But uh, so anyway, her skill set was much more useful in her life. She uh, ended up getting her master's in biology, studied uh, chemistry. Now she teaches chemistry in high school and uh, she teaches AP chemistry. So her skill set went a lot longer. What are you good at doing? In what area are you an expert? What have you studied or practiced over and over again? that you just know it almost secondhand. It becomes second nature to you. We all know that practicing and studying, it helps us to become experts in certain areas of our life. There's a great movie, and uh, it reminded me when I was kind of preparing this sermon, I was thinking about acquired skills, but it was the movie Taken. And some of you have seen that, but it was about this CIA guy who was retired, and his daughter gets abducted by the you know, the bad guys in the movie. And he ends up getting the cell phone and talking to the abductor, and he said, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. 
But what I do have is a very particular set of skills, skills I have acquired over a long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you, and I will kill you. And if you've watched the movie, you know he, uh, they don't let her go, and of course he goes and shoots everything up, gets his daughter back from his acquired skills. Now, hopefully not many of us have those skills, uh, but <laughs> when it becomes to being a Christian, what type of skills are we supposed to have? What does God expect from us? Is it just supposed to be a private set of beliefs uh, that help us to be a nice person, and then we have this hope that when we die that we'll have eternal life? Or is there something more? Professor, author, and theologian, the late, great Dallas Willard, wrote this when talking about what is real faith. He said, faith today is treated as something that, only should, that not only should make us different, Oh, well, let me. It's, it's, faith today is treated as something that only should make us different, not that actually does or can make us different. In reality, we vainly struggle against the evils of this world, waiting to die and go to heaven. Somehow we have gotten the idea that the essence of faith is entirely a mental and inward thing. But I, I believe, along with Dallas Willard and so many other theologians and pastors, that our faith is not supposed to just be inward. It's not so supposed to be just something personal that we hide to, uh, for ourselves. But instead, it is something that we share with the world. In the, the Sermon on the Mount and in the, uh, the Micah passage, we get a heart of what type of faith the Lord requires of us. From the Beatitudes to Micah's words in chapter 6, verse 8, when he says, To love mercy, to act justly, and to walk humbly with God. We are supposed to become highly skilled at living this out in our daily lives. When we say the Lord's Prayer, we say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have a job to do on earth as believers. And that's to help bring about God's kingdom and bring his kingdom values on this side of heaven to everyone we meet. So as we look at scripture and unpack it today, the best way, I think, as we look, we'll begin by looking at the Beatitudes, is to consider our walk with Christ as a journey. And it begins by being on the right path. The scripture that Kathy read, when it says blessed, that's interpreted as happy. And not happy as in the Greek sense. See, Jesus most likely was either speaking Aramaic or Greek when he talked. But his roots were in Hebrew. And this word happy that he's talking about, it goes back to the Psalms and Proverbs, this idea of being in the right place at the right time, a proper orientation. Psalm 1 says, Happy is the man who walks with Lord, who does not uh, sit with mockers or the wicked. That's the kind of happy and blessed that uh, Jesus was talking about. It's not this idea of just get all you can right now for yourself. It's a theologian, Hunsinger, that talked about this kind of self-absorbed faith that has nothing to do with what the Sermon on the Mount is talking about. He said, our culture has replaced Christ with a therapeutic faith that focuses more on the autonomous self than it does on the sacrificial love that Christ has called us to. The maxim of our day, the maxim of our day often is, seek your own welfare above all else. 
Well, the Beatitudes and what Jesus is preaching about is so contrary to that. It's a self-giving love that gives love to other people, that has persecution because of uh, giving this kind of love. It's not easy. It's a difficult journey. But we also recognize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our companion on this journey. So this Old Testament idea of happiness that Jesus uh, was talking about when he began the Beatitudes is the perspective of orientation, being in the right place at the right time. And when we do this, we know of our own hunger. We are sensitive to sorrow, even when our, the way of truth is under attack. It's not easy. It's a difficult path. But this is the path that Christ has called us on to start our journey of faith. So what do we do when we're on this path? Well, this is where we develop these skills. Again, Micah talks about to love mercy, to practice kindness. The Apostle Paul, as we begin this journey of faith, writes this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, a person who acts as a representative or promoter of a specified activity. That's what Webster describes an ambassador as. So we are campaigning. We are promoter. We are championing the cause of Christ. But we're doing more than just that. We are living it out. We are embodying these values, these values of loving mercy, of acting kindly to others. We realize that God has been gracious to us. God has been kind and merciful to us. So we don't live stagnant lives of inward belief. Our inward belief leads us to outward actions where we not only love God, but we love people. And we do this difficult way of uh, the Beatitudes, of surrendering ourself for the sake of the gospel. There's a parallel passage in Luke chapter 6 that talks about this mercy that God has in mind for us. It's a difficult one, but it says this, and I think it expands on uh, the Beatitudes. It says, But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So this is challenging. It's not easy. It's not like people that are easy to like. There was a bumper sticker that said, I hate mean people. I saw it years ago, and I'm like, okay, something's very wrong with that statement because isn't that a mean statement saying you don't like people who are mean? Wouldn't that make, you know, you get it. But um, we are called to love people, to care for them, to serve people that think very differently than us, people that may think differently than us politically, religiously, maybe their lifestyle, the kind of people they are, the things that they do. We're called to care for them, to practice kindness, be merciful to them. This is what God has called us to do, and it is not easy. But these are these highly acquired skills that we're supposed to develop over and over again and daily as believers. Remember, James said that faith without works is dead. You can't separate the two. Faith is action. It's motion. It's putting these kingdom values, these family values that we're called as bodies of believers into practice daily, or to act justly, to have God's kind of compassion for people. We understand that when we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and died for us, and he has that same kind of love for even people that we don't like or disagree with. 
So what does this look like? I'll give a few examples now and a few examples later, but um, when you have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, you care about people. Think of Betsy Hake in the children's home she started in Honduras. We just had a team that came back from there. Her love and compassion for children that were basically on the streets and bringing them to Christ, showing mercy and kindness to them. You're going to hear from my friend Blair for a few minutes later. Uh, he's a, a visiting missionary. And he'll tell you story and story of people, of acts of kindness and mercy that the teenagers are bringing to the little children in the community he works for or he works with. Kathy's brother-in-law, I've shared him before, who's fighting human trafficking, stuff that goes on in our own country at rest stops and truck stops. It's difficult to follow Christ and do hard things. But it's not just going overseas or going to crazy places. It's even the little things that we do. Pastor Morgan Chalulu from South Africa in the height of the AIDS epidemic in a small, humble Baptist church said this, a church that lives within its four walls is no church at all. You see, their church could no longer ignore the epidemic that was going on around them. They had to go and reach these people that had no hope with the hope of the gospel through tangible acts of mercy and kindness. Even when it was difficult, they were afraid of getting infected. But it's a great quote, and it's a reminder that we can't have an insular faith, that faith without action is dead. Well, these skills that we're supposed to acquire and develop the good news is we're not alone as we do this. Micah reminds us that we're to humbly to walk with God as we do this. Walk with God, not God on the sideline cheering us, hoping we do a good job, but walking with God. a matter of fact, when we put our belief with Christ, we're invited into a family. The Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're invited into that fellowship. And we're also invited into the fellowship of believers We are not on our own as we go through this journey. We're supposed to spur one another on, as Proverbs tells us, to love and good deeds. Our faith is not insular. It's not personal because it is personal, but it's personal in the context of community. That we encourage each other with our stories and we go out and love and serve others and bring them these kingdom values. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. There's power in numbers. There's powers in being part of the community of faith to live out these kingdom values to the whole world. So as a church and a community, we have a great responsibility. Number one, to be on the right path. To know that Jesus truly is the way, the truth, and the life. To have the courage to follow him, but also realize that this faith needs to be put to action. That we need to embody and live out and show these kingdom values of loving mercy and acting kindly, justly to other people. And to know that that we're doing this, that we're not alone. We're walking humbly with God and the support of fellow believers to live this out. Our faith is more than a benign belief. It is a belief that changes lives, changes our lives, and changes others as we interact and care for them. That same pastor, the one uh, from South Africa, has another quote. I love it. Um, It says, When our churches become spiritual spas, which retreats from the world, we lose our saltiness, and we are no longer able to impact the culture. 
Sunday morning is a fuel station. It's incredibly necessary because we fill ourselves up so we can go out and do what God has called us to do. Whether it's being public servants, teachers, lawyers, doctors, retired folks who have all kinds of skills from your first life that you can uh, live out these kingdom values to the world. We have a great responsibility, but we are not alone. When we do this kind of work, our church becomes alive and not stagnant. But if our goal is just trying to meet each other's felt needs and not doing any uh, works outside of that, of caring for others, we're going to become dead and stagnant. Living out the Sermon of the Mount, living out these kingdom values that the prophet Micah has, it's not easy, but it's necessary. When I was in Vancouver, British Columbia, I had an opportunity to uh, do a study of a church. And it was in an area which was kind of the down and out outside of Vancouver. And this particular church in the heyday had like tons of people, thousands of people come to church. So we visited it and there weren't very many. But what they did is they had all these homeless people and all these people that had different problems, kind of the down and outs of society that were coming to the service. And the pastor was embarrassed. He's like, yeah, we used to have this. We seem to have another revival it was a Pentecostal church, and he talked about all these ideas he had. And we tried to encourage him and said, you know what? You are doing God's work. Look at your neighborhood. You're bringing these people in, and you're caring for the least of these. we got to remember that it doesn't always look pretty, but it's real, and it's sacrificial, and it's what God has called us to do. When we do this, we do become alive. We become people that understand tears. We understand emotions. That's why Ron Clifford, when he does Kairos every year, and he comes up here and shares about his experience, he usually has tears in his eyes because he's getting a chance to act out on these kingdom values of kindness and mercy to the prisoners that his team is working with. That's why Lauren Fettis, when she came back from Honduras and shared the stories of her trip there, had tears in her eyes because she was so touched on what she did and uh, the ministry she had. It's why Greg goes back almost every year to Tanzania and inspires uh, these pastors and priests at the conference he goes to so they can become salt and light to their communities in an area that sometimes is not easy to stand up for Christ. And not only far away, we're called to do that to our neighbors, to our friends, to our families. Theology needs to be applied. God is walking with us. Living out the faith is vital so we don't become stagnant. So where are you are all in this? I'm going to have Norm put up a slide here. Years ago, I, uh, a few years ago, I was teaching Alpha to youth, and they used this pool analogy to talk about where you are in the faith, with faith as being in the pool, and everything else is just being outside of it. You see, there's the one guy that's dipping his foot in the pool. There's one guy who's on a typewriter, kind of like your modern-day cell phone, There's the guy posing in the mirror, some observers. Some people seem like they could care less. Some people are thinking about getting in. I don't know where you all are in the faith, but the kind of sacrificial faith that Christ has called us to is to jump with both feet in. We are God's ambassadors. He has called us, whatever your occupation, whatever your skills are in life, to use that for the kingdom, to bring others to Christ, to use these works, to bring kingdom values to other people. I had a mentor that I've shared about before, but 
John Ashton, he was my government teacher. After he retired from teaching, he was skilled in Spanish because he did the Peace Corps. And uh, he loves Jesus. He's very evangelical, loves to share his faith with people. Well, he started reaching out to the Latino community in Woodbridge, Virginia. He started Bible studies with them. And then he started something with the town where a lot of them had DWIs, the ones who had addictions with alcohol. So he started an AA program with them in Spanish and started spreading this and working with the county. Um, He's done mission trips to Central America and used his Spanish skills to bring people to Christ, to bring them out of addiction and bondage, to bring them back into society. This is what faith, putting your faith into action is all about. Some of us don't feel like we can make a difference. But there's an African proverb that says anybody thinks that they're too small to make a difference. Tell that to the person who's locked alone in a room with a mosquito. Because that mosquito makes a difference, right? It's, uh, but we're not called to be an annoying mosquito. We're called to bring these kingdom values to other people. We have the support of the community of believers. And when we do this, I want to read from the psalm that I read earlier this morning in the 8 o'clock. It says, He whose walk is blameless, and he who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from the heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises evil but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps the oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Eugene Peterson does the same uh, scripture. I'm not going to read it all, but let me read his last line in the message version. You'll never get blacklisted if you live life like this. Let's be people who live out the faith this week and for the rest of our lives. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for putting us on the path. We pray for anybody here this morning that's outside the pool, that they would have the courage to jump in, to trust you with their lives, to not stand on the edge, but to realize that whatever you have called them to do in life, whatever their occupation, their skill set is, that you will walk with them to help them to use that to further the kingdom and bring these kingdom values to everyone they come in contact with. Give us the courage to live out the faith. In Jesus' name, amen.